Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. You could be like them and say, I never stole anything in my life, but the question is, isn't did you ever steal anything? It's did you ever think about stealing it? Would you have done it if you could get away with it? And, and here's the point. You don't have to commit the act to be guilty in the sight of God because he looks on the heart. He knows what we're thinking. He knows our motivations. He knows what we do and why we do it. He knows what we don't do and why we don't do it. today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, The Truth Will Set You Free. We're in John chapter 8, and we will take up today in verse 11, where Pastor Sam is concluding his thoughts on Jesus telling the woman caught in adultery to go and sin no more, which we considered in part one of this message. We're going to be going through verse 32 today, so let's listen in. Do you know you don't have to have ever stolen anything? to be a thief at heart. The sin of covetousness is the sin that leads to stealing. So you could be like those religious leaders that Jesus was messing with or they were messing with him. You could be like them and say, I never stole anything in my life. But the question is, isn't did you ever steal anything? It's did you ever think about stealing it? Would you have done it if you could get away with it? And, and here's the point. You don't have to commit the act to be guilty in the sight of God because he looks on the heart. He knows what we're thinking. He knows our motivations. He knows what we do and why we do it. He knows what we don't do and why we don't do it. So you may not, and I hope you've never been, a fornicator or idolater or homosexual or sodomite or adulterer, but lots of thieves and lots of drunkards and lots of revilers and lots of extortioners among us. And, and here's the thing, if, if that were it, if he's saying, hey, you done those things, you're done. Well done someday. But he says, such were some of you. I love that. He's saying, this is, this is who you were. This is how you lived. This is what you did. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. To be washed, we're washed in the water of the word. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to your word. Sanctified can mean two things, washed or set apart. Here it means set apart because he already used washed. To be sanctified means to be set apart, not just from sin, but for him. It isn't just saved from that, it's saved for this. And this is him. And then justified. We have that play on words. God deals with me just as if I'd never sinned. How did he justify us? How did he wash us? How did he sanctify us? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Listen, if you're toying with sin today, even if it's just in thought, it will become a word or a deed. It will become an action. If you're watching things you know you shouldn't and, and you never act upon them or act out as a result of them, you're still sinning against God. And best deal is to, to confess that today. I love that it's communion because this is a little bit of a hard passage. But there's an opportunity at the end of it to confess, knowing if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Well, 
Jesus spoke to them again, verse 12, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. It's light or darkness. It's life or death. And he lets us choose. Those who don't love the light is because they love the darkness. They won't come to the light. We read early in John, lest their deeds be exposed as evil. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Show me where I'm standing. Show me where I'm heading. But listen, the word made flesh, he doesn't just point to the light or point to the destination. He doesn't just say there is a way. He is the light of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Well, the Pharisees therefore say to him, verse 13, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Now, we dealt with this in chapter 5, but in case you weren't here, or in case you'd already nodded off by that part, you woke up refreshed, but you're like, man, I wish I had heard the rest of that. It's online for you. But important to say, the word true here doesn't mean honest. No, Jesus is always telling the truth. They're saying it's insufficient. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything had to be established. Now, if Jesus tells you something, it's true without any other witness because Jesus never lies. Can't say that of anyone else, you see. Well, anyway, they say, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. It's not sufficient. Jesus answered and said, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. It is sufficient. It is enough. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from and where I'm going. Listen. Jesus meant it when he said he didn't come to condemn. And we have evidence here and for the rest of this, well, this study of his amazing, remarkable patience. Because back in John 5, they were on the same track, asking the same things and making the same accusations. And he says, listen, I'll give you some witnesses. John the Baptist my works, the Father, the Scriptures. John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His works, well, they were prophesied in the Old Testament and he was doing all of them. He was living out what the Old Testament said the Messiah would do when he came. The Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, he said at Jesus' baptism. And then the Scriptures Search the scriptures, Jesus will say to them, and he'd say it to us. For in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. He's already given this gang four witnesses, and now they're saying, hey, we need a witness. It's like when he does four miraculous things, and they're like, we need a sign from heaven. Listen, it was all Every sign was a sign from heaven because he came down from heaven, as he said, over and over and over and over in John 6, to do the will of the Father. And this is the will of the Father, that none he came for would perish, that none who heard his voice would perish. You judge, he says, verse 15, the only way men can judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone. I am with the Father who sent me. 
Note, he never backs off of this idea that he and the Father are one. They think alike, they speak alike, they deal alike. If you've seen me, he'll say, you've seen the Father. Want to know what he's like? Watch me, listen to me. Pay attention to what I'm doing, Jesus would say. It's also written in your law, and here it is, that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. So he leaves out John the Baptist and the scriptures because he's, he's honing his message to the things that are really going to will take them over the edge, if you will. Not that that's his goal. His goal is to win them. But if he doesn't win them, they're going to grow increasingly hostile. And uh, I'm going to encourage you to make sure you read the rest of the chapter. And I'm going to encourage you not to do that right now. But uh, let's finish this. But you read the rest because that's what we're going to look at next week. It's sort of like the other side of this whole thing. And we're going to see some things in Jesus that are a little bit surprising and a little bit shocking, and in some ways delightful. So uh, anyway, verse 19, they said to him, where is your father? And they talked like that when they talked to him, by the way. You know at one point they're going to say, we weren't born of fornication. What's the implication of that? You ever been in a conversation and just mentioned, I wasn't born of fornication? No, they, they have a reason for saying it. And what they're trying to do is say, that's, that's how you came, you know. And they don't know him at all. So they say, where is your father? And Jesus answered and said, you neither know me nor my father. If you'd known me, you would have known my father also. Now he's going to guide the conversation away from Moses and away from the law to, to, to deal with the father of the faith, Abraham. That will be next time. But, but here we're, we're just, we're in the beginning of that transition from Moses and the law because they relied on Moses. They thought they were following in his footsteps, sitting in his seat, condemning people under the law. But Abraham, father of the faith, that's next time. Well, verse 20, Jesus spoke, when these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. This treasury was one of the few places when anyone and everyone who wanted to come and worship the true and living God could do so. It was the place coins would be exchanged, yours for one that they um, approved of and could take with a hefty markup in the transaction. That's why Jesus ministers here, though, is because this is the place Gentiles could come and connect with the true and living God. To be in the temple of God or at the temple of God, it's the temple courts, to be in the temple of God, to, to be... Uh, among the priests and the children of God to hear the, the worship of God. And they just worshiped and worshiped and worshiped at these feasts. But the treasury, there's another reason that he's teaching there because this is where, where people like you and me could have found him, could have listened to him, could have given our lives to him. And, and by the way, <laughs> The only reason that the religious leaders are even hanging out in this area is because they were coming to collect their money because they made a hefty profit 
on people who came to worship the Lord, something he condemns. And there aren't a lot of things he condemns people for, religious hypocrisy and taking advantage of people who come to worship, milking them, using them. Man, he does not let that go. Well, anyway, his hour had not yet come. And Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. And where I go, you cannot come. Now listen, he's saying something so radical that if he were saying it to you, oh, he is saying it to you. He says, I'm going away, you'll seek me and you will die in your sin. Unless, of course, you repent of your sin. Unless you give your life to him. So if you've done that, then he's not saying it to you. But if you haven't, he is saying it to you. But note, they don't even think about what's being said to them. They say, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. They're so far from a heart of repentance. He says, you're going to die in your sin. And they say, whoa, think he's going to kill himself? It's just, it shows how far from, from the heart of the conversation they actually were that they would pick a word and fixate on that to avoid, not the implications, but the clear revelation of what he's telling them is going to happen to them unless they repent of their sin. And then he gets into it with them. We start to see the beginning of it. He says to them, you are from beneath I am from above. You were of this world. I am not of this world. That's a theme he's going to develop. But listen, when he says you're from beneath, he's not saying you're from down south. I'm from up north. <laughs> he's saying you come from your father and you come from your, 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 or your roots are there at best in this world, at worst in the world to come for those who refuse to surrender to Jesus and give their lives to him. Well, therefore, I said to you, you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am, he was inserted unnecessarily. They thought it made it clear. We don't need it to say he. If you don't believe I am, you will die in your sins. Don't miss this. To die in your sins means to die without forgiveness, without hope of forgiveness because it's all has to happen here and then it affects and impacts eternity. So they begin to say to him, who are you? This is life's most important question. He framed it in another way when he said, who do men say I am? And they said, well, you know, some are saying you're like a prophet and, and others, well, like Elijah, a great miracle worker. Or, or, or you know, they, they give the list of the things people were saying. He says, who do you say? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Listen, upon this rock. What's the rock? It's the confession that he's the Christ and what that means. He's the Christ, the son of the loving, living God. <laughs> I said loving God. That's actually not bad. And, and so he's loving and living. Now here's the important part. He is the son of God, so he's able to save and he's, well, 
He's the Christ, so that means he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He came to die for our sins, buried and risen again. So the, the question is, who do you say he is? We could say, who are you? But well, he's not standing here. But he'll say to you, who do you say I am? Because the answer to that question will in part impact you forever. The sad thing is there are a lot of people who believe that Jesus is the Savior, but he's never saved them. They believe he's the Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer, but he's never redeemed them because you can believe it intellectually and he'll make this clear in a moment. You can comprehend who he is and what that means. You can even share it with others, but still never process it internally. And he's going to say, you need to make sure you do just that. Latter part of verse 25, Jesus says, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say to you and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. And they did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. By the way, over and over and over and over, up to this point in John's gospel, and we're only in chapter 8. We're not even close to halfway through. He has said, the Father, my Father, the living Father, 39 times by the time we get to the end of this chapter. And he's not even close to finished. He's all about the Father. And the Father's all about the Son. And the Holy Spirit, all about the Son. And Jesus, he's all about us. Oh, he wants to bring glory to the Father, but he wants to bring us to the Father because nothing makes the Father more happy and more blessed and more pleased than to know we'll be with him, redeemed by and for him. Well, Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, and you know he's not talking about in praise or in song as we've been doing. Now, he's talking about the cross. He says, when that happens, then you'll know that I am and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. He doesn't leave us wondering. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Early in John, it said, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as believed him, to these he gave power to become the children of God, even to those who believed in his name. As many as received him, he gave the right, the might, the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Now, I'm certain most of you have heard, processed, dealt with, confessed your sin, received him as Lord and Savior. But if you haven't, please don't just consider to do it today. Do it today. Do it today. Do you know that the Bible says every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And years ago, I heard somebody say, so I'll share with you, beat the rush. Do it today. <laughs> Bottom line, why is this so important if we're already in Christ, if we're already on our way to heaven, if we're absolutely certain that we're his and that, well, he's ours? Because there are over 2 billion people on planet Earth 
who've never heard the name of Jesus. But you don't have to leave our community to find people who, while they may have heard of him or heard the name Jesus, never in a way that would have pleased him or been a blessing to him. We don't have to go into all the world. We can start at home. And if you're going to go in all the world, start at home. Because that's how he told them to do it. Witnesses to him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. That's how he did it then. That's how it will work for us. Well, Jesus says to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's unpack that, then we'll pray and share in communion together. If you abide in my word, abide is the key word there, continue, remain, dwell in the word of God, to ingest it, to digest it, to meditate on it, to be cleansed and nourished and refreshed by it. He says, if that's your lifestyle, you are my disciples indeed. Disciples, a follower of another, a student of another, one whose goal is to become like his master. And he says, you shall know the truth. Shall is future tense, but it's written in such a way that it's, it's certain. If you're abiding, you're his disciple. And if you're his disciple, you will know the truth. You shall know the truth. Listen, you can know about the truth. You can even get the information on the truth. He is the truth. But, but this word means to experience. It's gnosko in the Greek. It's an experiential knowledge of truth. It's reality. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth sets us free. The truth keeps us free. So we're instructed in Scripture to believe in, to dwell on it, to walk in it. We're promised that the truth will make us free from the law, the liar, the lies, free from sin and condemnation, from death and eternal separation, free from hatred and hypocrisy, free from immorality and idolatry, free from selfishness and selfish ambition, from hopelessness to depression to despair. But listen, it isn't only about what we're free from. Oh, that list could go on and on and on. It's what we're free for and who we've been freed by and who we've been freed for. Free to worship and serve the one who made us, who loves us, who so loves us. He sent his only begotten son to die for our sins, buried and risen again. He's redeemed us. He's transforming us. He's empowering us and using us. We're free to be witnesses of his glory of His grace, of His mercy, of His kindness, of His patience, of His goodness, of His plans, and His purpose. We heard Pastor Sam remind us that even if we have not committed a sin in the flesh, we are still guilty of it if it's in our hearts. Well, sometimes that can seem a little unfair, for after all, according to Scripture, our hearts are, above all things, deceitful and are constantly trying to get us to sin. 
Well, Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Well, we need God and we need God's word to help us discern the state of our hearts, lest we fall into the same traps that the religious leaders of Jesus' day fell into thinking that just because our actions are clean, so goes our heart, and that just because we have not sinned physically, that we are free from sin. And when we think that we're free from sin, there's no confession of sin. And where there is no confession of sin, there is no forgiveness of it. Don't let your heart deceive you. Everyone needs forgiveness. And it is in this forgiveness of sin that leads to freedom from sin and to eternal life. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.